Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Joel chapter 2, verses 23 through 27. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain, the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. And thank you, Tamara, and band, and Roxy. Well, that was great. Theodicy is the technical term, the label that we give. I don't know what's up with the sound man back there, but we've got some. Uh, some okay, got it. All right, that's my son. So I thought you. Theodicy is the, is the technical term that we use to label the trouble that we have reconciling a good God with the bad things that happen to us. Theodicy. I have spent the last couple of weeks, I feel like, uh, at a little higher rate than, than normal talking to people who are suffering uh, and in pain for various and sundry reasons. Sometimes it's through no fault of his or her own. It's a disease, or it's something that was perpetrated against him or her. Sometimes the wounds are self-inflicted, but I'm finding that self-inflicted wounds are no less painful. Um, sometimes it's just circumstantial. It's, it's not a disease, it's just a circumstance. Sometimes it's job-related. Sometimes it's, it's family worry. It's all those kinds of things, but, but they are, they are all so painful that it causes us to use some of the, the cliches that come with the, the vat of, of being alive in this day and age. And we, we say things like, well, you know, bad things happen in threes. You ever heard somebody say that? <laughs> you know, as God ordains it, <laughs> bad things happen in threes. Or, wow, God must just hate uh, trailer homes. Right? I mean, we, we end up trying to figure out a way to somehow explain the unexplainable. And, and in the process of, of trying to explain the unexplainable, sometimes we all throw, we throw it into the God category and say, well, God must have some problem with fill in the blank. And I got to be honest with you, passages like this one don't help. 
don't help until they do. There is help to be found in this preaching text today, and we will get to it, but we'll get to it. Between now and then, we have to ask very important questions like, is God trustworthy? And we might as well ask them out loud because it's not like we're not asking them when our brains finally spin to a stop at night and we can't go to sleep. And, and I have been there this week. When you can't go to sleep because you're sort of dogged by the things that happen today that you'll have to face tomorrow. Anybody else? Am I the only one? And, and you ask yourself, God, it seems like being God for so long, you'd be better at it by now. I'm your pastor, and I have the capacity to pray that prayer. And I'm happy to say I got up the next morning, so it's okay. But I do. I ask the same questions that maybe many of you do. Why? Where? Where are you, God? And then back to why. God, are you up to something? Because you have heard me say, and I believe, more days than not, I believe that we serve a God who has won, is winning, and will win. That doesn't allow me, though, always, the categories to explain what happens during the week. I mean, hear me say it again. I still believe in a God. More days than not, more days than not, I still believe in a God who has won, is winning, and will win. Win. But I struggle just like you do to try to reconcile the other things that happen, that happen to me, to the people I love, to friends and family, the, the things that I see playing out on the screens in front of me. And it causes me to say, now God, now God, I'm doing my best here. And I got to get up in front of people, it seems like on a weekly basis, I need help. I need, I need to be reminded again that you are up to something good. Because sometimes the bad swirls and swarms like locusts. Have you ever noticed that? It's not that bad things happen in threes, it kind of happen in swarms, it feels like sometimes. So God, in the midst of a swarm of locusts, I, I need to know that you are still God. Uh, reading from the website phys, so phys.org, a new study by a research team from Arizona State has found that climate change will dramatically increase the intensity of locust swarms, resulting in even more crops lost to insect pests and threatening food security. Not great news, God. Not great news. Because there are some places who have been so ravaged by a swarm of locusts that it takes them a decade to recover. They are still recovering in portions of West Africa where a swarm of locusts, this is, these are pictures from that particular swarm, have been so devastating that they still aren't over it yet. yet. African locusts, South American locusts are, are famous for being able to migrate 90 miles in one day and in one day can consume as much food as 35,000 people in one day. 
That's a lot. <laughs> so big, a locust swarm can be so big that you feel like more than it just being a, a scientific phenomenon, you almost kind of want to put it into that category that's included in all of our insurance policies. You know that category that I'm talking about? Act of God. Right? I regret that too. <laughs> I regret that the insurance industry has done that to us because then we have a tendency to look at our insurance policy and look at the storm that's in, in, uh, upcoming or on the way and say, oh, that's an act of God. But it's kind of what it says. Anybody familiar with The Onion? It is a uh, satirical publication, satirical publication. The Onion uh, had a, a story not too long ago. Swarms of locusts wish people would stop assuming they're sent to, be, <laughs> to bring God's wrath. <laughs> and in the satirical article, they interview a young locust <laughs> who says, <laughs> all the stuff about us being plagues and harbingers of destruction gets really tiresome, says the locust. Are there instances of locusts, locusts ravaging the earth, causing all crops to die, including mass starvation on behalf of a vengeful God? Sure. <laughs> We're not denying that. Of course, the media likes to focus on the negative and sensationalize these kinds of stories when most of the time we're just assembling in large numbers and minding our own business. Honestly, it all starts with the problematic term swarm, which carries a negative connotation. Instead of swarm of locusts, why not look at us as a community of locusts, which is what we are? <laughs> But again, the, the problem is that Scripture at times will use language like we heard read today. The swarm of locusts was referred to as God's army. <laughs> we, we think this passage of Scripture, there is some question, but we think this passage of Scripture is post-Babylonian exile. But probably people who have returned from the exile and are trying their best to build the wall back around Jerusalem, trying to rebuild Jerusalem, trying to rebuild the temple, but there are occupying forces that are against them in the land. And beyond that, we think, we think that there was a big, huge swarm of locusts. And so a beaten down people who are no doubt just exhausted, a beaten down people experience the swarm of locusts and they see in it the continued judgment of God. Now, maybe what we have recorded in Scripture is something very, very deeply human. It, the same kinds of ways that, in big and small ways, you and I can go, oh, come on, God, really? Again? Like, really, another diagnosis? The cancer is back? Really, God? It could be lots less than that. Really, God? My keys? Again? But don't we have that capacity to assign to God the agency when something bad happens? I, I think it's human. I, I'm not even sure it's sinful. <laughs> I, I just think it's, it's human. And again, sometimes Scripture leads us down that path. And even though this passage of Scripture, hello, this Scripture leads us down that path, I want us to keep going down that path because there's more on that same path that can help if we'll continue to listen. But they are asking, is God still punishing us? Seems like we paid our penalty in the exile. Is God still punishing us? That's what this is then. And maybe so. 
Maybe so. Maybe, maybe God is continuing to say, you all need to look at me. You continue to look other places. And when you look at me, bad, when you don't look at me, bad things happen. When you don't look at me, God says you wander into oncoming traffic and sometimes it's Babylon and sometimes it's a swarm of locusts. I, maybe so. What I know is that these are difficult times, difficult Bugs. I, I found there shouldn't be any sound to this, so if there is, you can turn off the sound to it. But I'm going to play you this while I read from an earlier part of chapter 2. You can go ahead and turn all the sound out of the, the video. Fire devours in front of them, and behind them a flame burns. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, but after them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses, and like war horses they charge. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. That's terrifying. I don't like one bug, much less thousands and thousands and thousands. And again, we, we have this weird way of assigning both agency and then kind of cynically taking a particular posture in the face of the swarms of things that happen to us. It's almost like we anticipate and expect catastrophe. I don't know if you've ever seen, but there's a bumper sticker out there that goes something like this. I can't get it exactly right. Life stinks and then you die. I think it's what it is. Have you ever seen that? Life stinks and then you die. Something like that. Some folks feel that way, and some of those folks go to church. What does that say about how we understand God? Is it possible that the God who claims some agency, at least in Scripture, for the swarm of locusts, is it possible that that God is capable of doing something good? Do we have reason to doubt or suspect the heart of that particular God? Joel chapter 2 verse 12. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your clothing, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. And I'm telling you, God's heart is reached. Verse 18, then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. In response to his people, the Lord said, I am sending you grain and wine and oil and you will be satisfied and I will no more make you a mockery among the nations. And this is where we get to our passage for today. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God for he has given the early rain for your vindication. Now here's the thing. If ever your land is devastated by a swarm of locusts, what you really need is rain. And in fact, what you need is an early rain, but you also need a late rain. An early rain and a late rain. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. Verse 24, the threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. He says, I will repay you now for the years that the swarming locusts has eaten the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent against you. Verse 26, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. 
and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. This is one of those passages where I'm kind of glad it's not Kid Sunday. This is tough. Here's what I'm not going to do today. I'm not gonna try to defend God, is that okay? I'm, I'm not gonna try to tell you, of, oh, I have finally figured out and can map and diagram the mind of God. This is the testimony of the people of God. But the people of God continue to testify and we need to keep listening as they continue to testify. When we stop short of that, we, there is this particular pitfall that I'm gonna talk about here for a little bit and it's called the prosperity gospel. Now, here's what the prosperity gospel does. Prosperity gospel says, if you're good, God will give you what you want. The prosperity gospel says, look, God is designed to make you healthy and wealthy. And if you'll just do A, B, and C, God will give you money in your account and add years to your life. Sometimes that is the response when terrible things have happened, right? Or, or haven't you heard somebody say, well, I wonder what he did to make God so mad. Can you hear in that the whispers of the prosperity gospel? There is in this passage fuel even for those who might pursue a gospel of prosperity where somehow God is obligated to give me health and wealth if and when I do the good things and avoid the bad things. But friends, that's not what's going on here. Nor do I believe God to be wired like that. Sometimes we do make our own breaks in the world through hard work. I, I wanna say that, I'm a good Wesleyan. I believe, I believe in a good, solid, strong work ethic. Sometimes we make our own breaks. But sometimes the good things happen and it's just sheer luck. <laughs> and sometimes God rescues. Sometimes God rescues. But God is not a vending machine and it's dangerous to believe that our behavior obligates God to anything, one way or the other. At that point, God's character doesn't really matter. It's all about you or me or us. The gospel of prosperity is not the same thing as Christian hope. Everybody hear me? I'm gonna compare and contrast here for a second. And I want you to know that some of these things, they were, they were stepping on my toes as well as I was working through this this week. But I'm gonna compare and contrast the prosperity gospel with Christian hope. Prosperity gospel is self-oriented. <laughs> You'll be able to look at me and know whether or not God is good and I am good. But it's really about me. Christian hope wholly relies on God. Doesn't mean you don't show up for work, but Christian hope is in the God who can do something that I cannot do for myself. In a prosperity gospel, I am the agent of change, not just my own, but also the change that God would bring about. In Christian hope, God is the agent of change. In prosperity gospel, if you do well, it results in health and wealth. Where Christian hope is concerned, <laughs> Our best hope for results are companionship, awareness, presence, and intimacy. Prosperity gospel sounds more like a business contract, if then. 
Christian hope is covenantal. God says, my mind about you is made up, and the news is good. The prosperity gospel can result in the judgment of others. So if you are steeped in prosperity gospel logic, let's say, and you understand that the healthy and the wealthy are the blessed of God, then what are you going to think when you see people in poverty? What are you going to think when you see people who are sick? So a prosperity gospel, if you are steeped in a prosperity gospel, you're going to look around at the people who are suffering, and you're going to say, well, what did you do? Or what haven't you done? And by the way, if you spend much time asking what did you do or what haven't you done, you're not going to be able to summon a whole lot of energy to help the one who hurts. So if the prosperity gospel results in judgment of others, Christian hope results in gratitude. The prosperity gospel is more about what I'm up to, but Christian hope is about what God's up to. And this is where it's important that we try to remain some sort of grip on this deep truth that God is in fact up to something. Yes, I may have a bad day, a bad month, a bad week, a bad season. My life may be racked with pain. But am I going to be the only standard of measurement whereby I determine whether or not God is good or God is up to something? I want you to hear me say it again, even after having had a tough week. And some of you have had tougher weeks than I've had. I want you to hear me say again, as your pastor, I do believe that God is up to something and that something is good. I believe that you and I live and move and breathe and have our being in this larger story of God's love for all of us. I mean, listen to what is said next in our particular passage. Then, then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Does this sound familiar? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions even on the male and the female slaves. Everybody in those days, I will pour out my spirit. If you feel like you've heard those words before somewhere, you have. These are the very words that Simon Peter quoted in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two, where in the aftermath of the nightmare of Christ's crucifixion and the swarming of the Roman Empire, there was the rumor of a resurrection. There was an ascension and directions to return to Jerusalem for marching orders because, you all, God is up to something, and sometimes you can even see it in the ugliness of life. At Pentecost, God does it again. God breathes God's way into every life and every circumstance, rushing in to bring hope and perspective possibility. So whatever it is that God is doing, as God does it, God seems to be moving closer to us all the time. Because now it seems, if you were unclear before, then in the second chapter of Acts, you have to see that every person now, every person, the book of Acts, man, that is, that is a scandalous book. It's, it's almost as if every person, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their, their history, it seems like every person has access to God and all God's people said. 
Every person has access to this companionship. It no longer has to be mediated by a few holy people. God says, because I am stepping closer to you all the time, and yes, still, bad things will happen. Locusts will swarm. Accidents. Wars break out and casualties will mount. But even then, says God, I move towards you in your pain and anguish. God says, I will be accessible, available, and I have the capacity, says God, to weave even the most terrible pains into the larger capital S story that we will write together. And that story has to do with restoration, redemption, healing, future, and hope, Christian hope. Because this is the God who gives good gifts. Ultimately, your hope and my hope can't be in us. Our ultimate hope can't be in us. Again, we show up to do the work. (laughs) But ultimately, God is more worthy of hope than any one of us. Our hope continues to be in the one who knows us and chooses us anyway. The work that we do is done to make ourselves accessible and available to the God who is more and more accessible and available to us. It's it's like this. Here's another passage I could have preached from today, Luke chapter 18. I know you've heard this story, so just kind of go with me here. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. One of, I think one of the earlier uh, evidences of prosperity gospel, ugly stuff. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Tax collectors were dirty, y'all. I may, they may still be dirty, I don't know. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there. So he lists his resume. Because I fast twice a week, said the Pharisee, I give a tenth of all my income. Surely I should get something for that, right, God? Verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went home with the gift he could not have given himself. He went home justified and not the other. For all who who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. There's some things you can't do for yourself. That's a good thing, we believe. As Christians, that's a good thing. We are reading a fascinating book on Wednesday nights. We're meeting in here on uh, Wednesday nights about 6.30 to read uh, Hunting Magic Eels by one of our favorite authors, a guy by the name of Richard Beck. He is a, a psychologist, but also a theologian. 
And he's just writing this incredible book, talking about how it is that faith gets disenchanted and how in our cynicism even, we might be able to re-enchant our faith and spot God where we were unable to spot God before. And he has talked a lot in the last couple of chapters, and maybe he still will, about J.R.R. Tolkien. Anybody familiar with J.R.R. Tolkien? Yeah. Written a couple of things, this guy. I think he's going to make it, this Tolkien guy. I think he's going to be all right. This is the guy who has written stuff like The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings stuff, and now the, The Rings of Power stuff. And it turns out that Tolkien was doing theology the entire time. And Tolkien was writing for people who experienced agony, pain, despair, depression, anxiety, wounds of all kinds, including self-inflicted wounds. Tolkien was writing something that is a lot like Scripture, actually, in the hopes of connecting and opening eyes to the possibilities that you may not have appreciated prior to reading and and losing yourself in a story because that's what you do in some of these. If you don't just hate Tolkien, then as you watch these things, you find you are just sort of enveloped into somebody else's world. That's kind of the way he writes. It's intentional. And he hopes in the process of doing such a thing that you will experience this word that I think he made it up. I think he made up this word, right? He made up this word. The word is eucatastrophe, E-U catastrophe. And here's what he means by it. (laughs) You catastrophe happens when you are at the end of your rope. All the different scenes, no matter the camera angle, all the different scenes show that things are going to go up in smoke. Things are really bad. You cannot overcome by yourself. And then you catastrophe happens because God does what only God can do. Because God does what only God can do. And God shows up. Now, sometimes believing people are the hardest to convince because I think Becca's right. We have, over a period of time, and with pretty good reason, we have slowly but surely disenchanted faith. And sometimes even the believer isn't sure that God's going to show up on time, in time. I read another commentary this week by a woman named Donna Shaper, and she tells the story of an author that she especially enjoys, a guy by the name of Henry Bester, and he would write, he would go through, very intentionally go through these very trying situations and circumstances, and then he would write based on his experiences, and and this one particular year, he decided to live in a house on the farthest point of Cape Cod, which you may say, well, that doesn't sound like it's all that bad, except that he did not have access to stuff like, you know, electricity. He spent a year out there. I just want you to hear this. When asked what he discovered during this time, he said that we should learn to reverence night and to put away the vulgar fear of it. He said, I love the constant shorebird migrations, but even more, I love to go out at night and stare at the stars, stare at the cosmos. Cosmos. 
Donna Schaefer says, when allowed to do it, God can be a teacher about the vulgar fear of the night. So often we overdo tragic interpretations when all around us, beautiful stars exist in the dark. Now, somebody in the room is going to say, yeah, I don't see it. I am not seeing it. And here's what I have to say to you. That's okay. Because sometimes when I say faith is a team sport, here's what I mean. <laughs> sometimes when you don't feel like singing, I'll sing for you. As long as we can have the reverse deal some days, right? When I don't feel it and when I don't see the stars, I'll just have to lean in and bank on the fact that you can see them. Sometimes I'll just have to bank on the fact that you can see them. Sometimes I'll come and just listen to you sing, but here's the deal. When you need it, man, and you can't see them, and on that day I can see them, I can say, oh, that's okay. I promise you I can see them from here. When you can't sing, hopefully that'll be one of those days when I can sing doubly loud for both of us. It's not a sin to not be able to see the stars in a moment. It's not a sin. In fact, we're not really talking about sins. What we're talking about today is possibility and hope. Hope that God still rescues. That God will come close even on days that are so dark we can't see the stars. Just so you know, Part of the reason we do a couple things around here, <laughs> we make sure to like this, and when we forget, we, we will awkwardly come up in the middle of, of church and, and light it, as Zach did last week, beautifully done last week. Because there's always light. And again, we gather around this table, and I want everybody to continue to remember that we gather around a table that is not all puppies and roses. <laughs> it's broken body and shed blood. This is the God who doesn't overcome and somehow not allow you to experience the ugliness and the darkness. This is the God who comes to you in the ugliness and in the darkness. Right. So, even if you can't see the stars today, if you haven't been able to sing the songs today, there is still broken body and shed blood available for you today. And our best hope is that somehow in the midst of hearing somebody say, this is the body of Christ broken for you, hearing somebody say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you, that you will recognize in that moment, oh, this God understands dark days. This God was so anxious that this God sweat blood. This God knows suffering and death and dying. This God knows darkness and is meeting me here in my own. The God who rescues summons you to the table today, and me too. So if you're helping us, please come. And Heavenly Father, my prayer is that you would bless these elements. And with them, God, give us a glimpse. Perhaps give us the capacity
to glimpse, the courage to glimpse, the imagination to glimpse, the stars in the midst of the darkness. God, uh, relieve us of a prosperity gospel burden which somehow (laughs) means that it's all up to us. But give us some idea of what Tolkien meant when he made up this word but didn't make up the concept that you are the God who still has the capacity to come close no matter what we're going through at the time. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to come to the front. I'll ask you to exit your pews to the left, your left, then to come forward, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive as gifts of grace that which can't be gotten in any other way. As you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person's going to say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And you'll be reminded again, this God understands being broken. Take that piece of bread, don't eat it, but dip it into the cup. The person holding the cup will say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And in that moment, you'll be reminded, this God knows what it means to be bloodied. And then take and eat. And then find a place to pray. Now it's possible. You may want to pray at one of these side padded altars because everybody's dragging something in. And if you need physical healing, if you need mental, emotional, familial healing, then somebody will meet you at one of these side padded altars, anoint you with oil, it's not magic. It is meant to communicate the clinging presence of God in your life. If you would like to, you can come and pray at one of these kneeling benches up front. We won't assume anything, but you will at some point be reminded that you're not alone as you pray whatever prayer it is that you're praying here. Now, it's possible that you don't want to take communion in this sort of publicly exposed sort of way, and we totally get that. Many of you will, but some of you won't. And so there will be people at each one of the aisles carrying a little plate of prepackaged elements. You can take one of those, and as soon as you get it, just go ahead and take and eat and drink, because we will have done the ritual, and it's already been blessed, and that's perfectly fine, but I hope even then that you'll pray. It's also possible that you may want to make a special trip down here to dip your fingers into this bowl. Here's the significance it has today. It's meant to remind you of your baptism, but it's also meant to remind you that you belong to a community of people a community of people who do deeply believe, despite the darkness, that God is up to something and therefore we are too. That perhaps even our aches and pains and our own darkness somehow factor into the larger thing that God is doing by God's grace. So this is available to you as well. Lots of ways to be involved in a response to the God who summons you closer as God comes closer as well. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. The same way he would later take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant now shed for you. And every time you drink of it, remember me. Do we have someone for this aisle? Thank you, pastor's wife.
And now, if you would, all across the sanctuary as you are dismissed, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God, even the ones confronted by darkness. Come. Father, we recognize that we do have it within us, at least I do have it within me, to be just cynical enough to expect that bad things come in threes, (laughs) and maybe more dangerously to wonder what it is that I have done, what it is that I have done to somehow merit the bad things, but God you liberate me from that kind of bondage, from that kind of logic, and 
open to me the awareness of your presence, your intimate presence, so that I can understand your presence in my life, not as a guarantor of what will or won't happen to me, but so that I can understand your presence and your companionship as being crucial as you walk with me through the inevitability of life. So I'm going to make room now for you to pray your own prayer of confession. What is it? What is it right now that has you seeing darkness and not stars? It is absolutely an appropriate prayer for you to say, God, I need to see stars. I am in anguish and I need to see stars. Confess your need. Confess the darkness now. God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit keep us in eternal life. As we move into these moments of pastoral and intercessory prayer, please take whatever posture is most comfortable for you. And we are grateful for the ways in which you will surround one another in prayer at this time. Before I begin to pray, and I want to let you know that our beloved pianist and organist, Dr. Mark Riegert, he had a small heart attack this week and is in the hospital. He had an open heart surgery quadruple bypass earlier this week and is recovering very well. So in a moment, I'm going to pray for Mark and a few other pastoral care issues, but thank you for your prayers for Mark and for his family. And so thank you for those who will be present around with us with our music ministry but thank you for loving Mark and for praying for him and praying for his full recovery. Again, he's doing very well. Also, before we pray for Mark, and we want to let you know that there's a little girl out there named Sadie Corder, and Sadie's watching right now. She's one of our online, very faithful. I think she's about eight. Sadie, I'm sorry if I got your age wrong, but we've been praying for her for a very long time. And the surgery she recently had did not take the graft in her ear as well as they would have hoped. And so she's pretty discouraged right now. So as I pray for Sadie and as I pray for Mark, and one more, I just want you to join me in prayer for those. The guy running sound there in the back, he's got a heart monitor on right now. His name is Drew Middendorf, and we love him very much and have loved him since the day he was born. And we're going to pray for him and his heart moving forward to see what God would have for the healing of Drew's heart. So would you pray with me for all of these and more? Because we know as a pastoral team that so many of you carry something into this room that you cannot carry alone. Gracious, I looked over at Sharon. She's got a son who's taking chemo right now. You enter into this space, and as your pastors, we may not know everything about you, but we're praying in these moments that God would carry you, especially in the places which you cannot carry yourself. Let's pray together. And so, Jesus, we gather by your name with one another in this great community of friends asking for your help 
And God, we say thank you for taking care of Mark Rieger this week, but ask God for that you would take care of him every heartbeat of his life. That God, you would heal and restore and give him strength. God, we ask that you might be able to return home soon from the hospital and God, that you would be with him by his side, his wife, as she cares for Mark and his family, including granddaughter Claire. God, we ask that you be very close as Mark recovers in the days to come. God, we also ask that you be with your beloved daughter, Sadie Corder. God, we thank you for Sadie's life and faith. And God, we ask that you would heal her by your spirit. And God, you would heal her ears and her hearing, but you would heal her heart and disappointment. And that God, you would surround her with your love. And that God, even as she watches now, she would know that you're smiling on her and love her and are with her through difficult times. Thank you for the message today from Pastor John. And God, we ask that you would come alongside of our friend, John's son, Drew. God, we ask that by your spirit, you would heal him, heal his heart, be with doctors, technicians, nurses, this heart monitor, and his future. That God, you would come alongside him in healing ways, and that God, you would be a present love in difficult times right now. God, we ask that you would be with those who are in, either in the hospital or recovering, people like Steve Mendenhall, Lee Nichols, both Jared Satterley and his four-year-old son, Jude Satterley. God, we ask that you would take care of the healing of Marlene McVeigh. And God, we pray for folks sometimes every week, people who need you. We ask God for your continued love and healing the life of Laura Hardy, Linda Weaver, Scott Peterson and my friend, Matthew Larson. God, we ask that you would surround people with your love, by your grace, in your spirit, and especially, God, for those who need you the most. And now, God, we pray for these moments and ask that you would transform us each moment, week by week, as we say this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray in church, at home, and those who are watching online, it should be on the screen in front of you. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.